hammer down and push your IndyCar to the limit. Might be one of the most dominating performances we'll see all season long. From turbochargers to tight turns, we're covering everything that's happening in the NTT IndyCar Series. When checkers in the air and Takuma Sato will go to victory lane for the second time at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, he wins the 2020 Indianapolis 500-mile race. Exclusive interviews with drivers, crew chiefs, and team owners discussing the IndyCar storylines that matter to you. Oh my goodness, what an incredible race and what an incredible champion we have on our hands. Wow. This is Brick by Brick. I'm Jack Aroot. He's A.J. Almendinger. And this is another edition of Brick by Brick. A.J., first, before we get to IndyCar news, congratulations on what has to be in your career the wildest, craziest, most challenging race that you ever prevailed in, and that was in the rain uh, at the Roval uh, in the Xfinity Series for College Racing. Yeah, that was, uh, we were racing boats out there. So my Chevy boat was really good. (laughs) Um, no, it was, it was insane. Uh, just from start to finish. I mean, just, you know, basically once it started raining, I mean, it was a hurricane, the the remnants of the hurricane were were, were catching us. And I mean, it was survival of the fittest. Uh, Chase Briscoe was doing an amazing job. His, he was dialed in, but you know, at college racing, we, we never gave up all the men and women. We just kept fighting and, I knew I had to be aggressive on the restarts because once the 98 got out in the lead, that was about about all she wrote there. So uh, we all splashed through the puddle in turn one there, and I was crashing. Chase spun. I saved it. And uh, as they say, I guess the rest is history. So really proud to be a part of the team. And, and finally, we had Ellsworth advisors on, that, on the 16 car so many times this year and have been so close and finally get them in victory lane it was a big deal. Well, the part that was just absolutely astonishing is uh, the 24 hours, the Rolex 24, and many other sports car races do compete through the day and the night. But this could very well be the first time because of the absence of lights in the infield. Sunset was 645, and the last I checked, you got the checkered flag about 730. Well, who is the dark light when you went into the infield? Well, the problem was it wasn't – it might have been better actually if it was just dark, but the giant jumbotron that Charlotte Motor Speedway has put in there, which is great in most occasions, like love it. Uh, that was like blinding. I can't even describe how blind. It's like when you got headlights coming at you when it's monsooning and it's bouncing off the the road. I mean, you turn in turn three and you just couldn't see anything. And uh, I heard Daniel Hamrick talk about how in turn four he actually one lap drove under the curbing because he didn't know where the corner was and I was just guessing every lap so yeah it was it was amazing but you know it's one of those races that you'll never forget and happy we came out on top well we're all pleased and I'm sure the entire IndyCar nation applauds your performance but let's turn to the news at hand a silly season in full-blown uh operation with the announcement uh, earlier this week that Oliver Askew, who was still suffering from the after effects of his horrible crash at the Indianapolis 500, will not return to uh, Aero McLaren or Schmidt Aero McLaren racing next season. And it didn't take them long to reveal who the replacement driver was. And that's from uh, the Chip Ganassi racing team, Felix Rosenquist, moving to 
Schmidt Arrow McLaren uh, for the 2021 season. Is this like in, in NASCAR, AJ, in your opinion, the beginning of a dominoes effect at season's end? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say. There, there's so many questions, but I mean, first of all, I think this is just a horrible move, honestly. I, not, I, I'll rephrase that. I don't want to say horrible in the sense that Felix Rosenquist can't get the job done. We know mm -hmm. he can. But you take on two rookie drivers, and both of them are doing very well, and one gets injured. And this is what, you know, in the day and age of, of 2020, you're supposed to be outspoken about, especially when it comes to concussion-like symptoms. And as young drivers, and in drivers in general, I mean, even now, you're so afraid to talk about it because you're yeah. afraid if you get out of the car, you don't get back in. But, you know, with the protocols, they talk about, you know, you really got to focus on your safety. This just shows that it doesn't matter. Like, Oliver Askew didn't do anything wrong. I was looking at his stats. I mean, he was the highest finishing rookie in three out of his first six races before Indy. And he had a podium at Iowa. And he was equal, I think, 3-3 with Pato when it came to finish who finished higher. So there wasn't, like, this big discrepancy of, like, well, Oliver's just struggling and, and Pato's on fire. He was doing a great job. And then he gets injured, tries to race with it. Because of that, struggles because he's not feeling well, but he's afraid to talk about it. Finally has enough courage to talk about it, say there's something not right, and hey, how do you get rewarded? You get kicked out of the car. <laughs> I think it's just a, it's, it's a dirty, dirty way to do it. Um, and I hope Oliver Askew honestly gets a better opportunity because I know he can do it. I've watched him since karting. The dude can wheel a race car. He was doing a great job, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you fix that, but it's just – it's to me a BS move. Well, and and look, you you've got to put the picture and juxtapose it against this COVID nineteen season, uh, where I I do think that the uh, the restrictions on testing, uh, you know, some of the things that the IndyCar series has been forced to adopt to continue operation, like other sports, uh, it really did and continues to put rookies at a distinct disadvantage, the 2021, I mean, the 2020 class, as opposed to any previous classes of rookies and the way they were able to increase their learning curve. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, we're, we're, we're not talking about that. To me, in my opinion, we're not talking about him getting let go because he underperformed and he was just mm. struggling. No. He was out of the he, – he only struggled. He had one mistake, really, early on in the season. He stepped out out of the last corner at the, the NDGP and hit the fence. And that was the one mistake I saw out of him, was that, was that. And then gets crashed on the restart at the Indy 500, which is really what starts the domino effect of yeah. him having these symptoms and just isn't feeling right. And from there, it just spirals down to where he finally talks about it. So, yeah. 2020 has been a difficult season in the sense of all these rookies not getting a lot of track time or testing, but it, this isn't based on performance. They can say it is sure. They can go, well, look at the last couple of races that he ran. That's not fair. He wasn't, he, he was, he had concussion symptoms. How hard is it to drive in any car when you feel perfect? Yeah. Let alone yeah. if your head's hurting or maybe your vision's not straight, like, come on. Like, so I just think it's a dirty move. I mean, it, it's, 
James Hinchcliffe, which we will talk to coming up here. I mean, he he got told late he wasn't going to be in the ride, and and it's just a, to me another another tough move. I just hope that all rescue gets a, another great opportunity and can show what he can do because the kid can wheel a race car. Well, and there's a lot of speculation now. Elio Castroneves has filled in uh, for Askew, and we're anticipating that he will do likewise uh, in the finale at St. Pete. Speaking of St. Pete for just a moment, um, this year, instead of being the, uh, the, the opening act, it'll be the closing act. That championship uh, day will uh, come in just about a week and a half. And unlike normally, when there'd be like 150,000 people watching the race in person, uh, the fans will be restricted to 20,000. I don't think that's going to diminish in any way, shape, or form uh, the importance. And I think the magnitude is is actually increased uh, because of the fact that this will be the event that uh, for the 13th straight year will crown the NTT IndyCar champion. It's certainly Scott Dixon's to lose. Oh, for sure. But, you know, you really got to look at St. Pete, knowing that it's a street course, and and we've talked about it before, that Mm. small mistake there, big consequences. And that's what Scott Dixon doesn't need. It's not as in the past where you finish at Sonoma or Laguna Seca where – you know, that's a, a permanent road course. And, yeah, I mean, you get off – you make a mistake, you get off the racetrack there, you get back on it and, and lose some spots, but you keep racing. At St. Pete, it's very rare to make a, a mistake and not tag the wall. So, Scott Dixon, probably maybe the one of the toughest tracks that you're going to go to if you had to choose in the NTT IndyCar season to finish at. This is probably the one you didn't want to if you're Scott Dixon. But, I mean, he's a five-time champ for a reason. Uh, it's not like he's got to go out there and win the race. He's just got to go out there and run a solid race and him and that 19 make no mistakes or, or just limit the mistakes. And if they do that, they will be the champion. And it should be pointed out that all five of Dixie's championships have been behind the wheel of a chicken nasty car. And I want to let our fans know that coming up in this episode, uh, I had the distinct pleasure to sit down for a, an extended period of time with Chip Ganassi, and that'll be forthcoming before we go off the air this evening on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211. Final uh, um, uh, conversation piece, shall we say, albeit not until 2023. And, uh, you know, I'm at the age, AJ, where I don't even buy green bananas. So 2023 seems a long way off. Um, IndyCar is poised to welcome in a third engine manufacturer, and I will take our listeners back to uh, a conversation that we had with Roger Penske, where, to be quite frank, I think he spilled the beans that uh, it is going to be the prancing horse and Ferrari, although at this point in time, outside of that observation by Penske, uh, uh, there has been no, uh, shall we say, substantiation that that's the direction they're going in. But 2023, Honda, Chevrolet, and TBA will be powering the IndyCar series. Yeah, that's a big deal. Anytime you can get new manufacturers into a series that just boasts the money, it maybe allows more teams to enter uh, because you got a, uh, another manufacturer that's willing to spend the money 
bring that team along, help fund that team possibly. So uh, it, it, that's, that's a huge deal. And you're right. It's in, in, especially the way 2020s went, it seems like 2023 is a long ways away, <laughs> but it truly isn't right. Like next yeah. thing you know, it'll be here. So just another great thing to show that the NTT IndyCar series is on the uprise and that's, that's all you want. And, and a quick postscript to that news item. Uh, 2023, at least at this point in time, there's been no indication of an alteration of their engine goals. And that includes, and I'm quoting Jay Fry, uh, the includes the electrification of, of the engines. Now, it remains to be seen. Is it going to be similar to Formula One? Is it hybrid technology? But now, instead of having just two manufacturers uh, integrating that into their power plants, we will have a third. All right, that pretty much cleans things up. Coming up next, you alluded to it. Uh, he's has spent some time after being released at a very late point in time from his ride with Andretti Autosport uh, as an NBC commentator. But he well, we welcome him back into the seat that he says is where he wants to be. We'll visit with the newest member or revisit the um, a member of Andretti Autosport. The mayor of Hinchtown is coming your way next, James Hinchcliffe. Right here with A.J. Allmendinger and yours truly, Jack Aroot, on Brick by Brick. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Hinch. Coming up next. Just to show you how tough it is to just jump into an IndyCar, you know, three quarters of the way through the season when these guys have been running all year. You've got Elio and, and, and Sebastian that have a combined, I don't know, like 70 wins between them. And both of those guys have been racing in IMSA all year long. And the three of us qualified, I think, 17th, 18th, and 19th in that first mm. race. You know, it's just so competitive. And just jumping into these cars uh, is, uh, is, is a huge challenge. So results-wise, yeah, you're always going to feel like you want a little bit more. But, um, you know, I managed to beat those guys in both days, which was good. Uh, and we, we kind of helped move up the 26th car position in the uh, in leader circle. And, you know, it's just, it's tough at this time of the year, like I said, to, to jump in and, and try to keep pace with all these incredibly talented drivers that are, uh, that are you know, well race tuned at that point. But it was awesome to be back behind the wheel and definitely look forward and looking forward to St. Pete in a couple weeks. This is Brick by Brick with A.J. Allmendinger and Jack Aroot. Welcome back to the only weekly NTT IndyCar Series talk show on Sirius XM. This is Brick by Brick. Welcome back. Quick reminder, if you missed any of our other episodes of Brick by Brick, they all live on the Sirius XM app as well as on Pandora. But I want to remind you at the end of our show, stay right where you are. Because on IndyCar Classics, we are going to go back and revisit what Simon Pagano insists was his greatest moment in motorsports. During our conversation as part of IndyCar Classics, he alluded to the fact that that car from pole day to the checkered flag was perfect. And yet, I uh, asked him a question that not necessarily threw him for a loop, but made him chuckle. Take a listen. Simon, when you have a perfect day like that, and when you and the car are one, does it ever enter into your mindset maybe after the fact, okay, that was my one chance in my motorsports career to have that perfection 
And gosh, I hope I can get it back someday. <laughs> it's a great question, question Jack, because, you know, actually, I don't think anyone has ever asked me, but it is, for me, it's true that uh, that's uh, a question that keeps coming back. Um, you know, after 2016, I had an incredible year, uh, with seven poles and five wins, and I was one with the car almost every races, and it was perfect. Uh, now things change, right? It's the same for every athlete in every sport. Uh, there are years that just doesn't don't click as well. Uh, so you're always searching for that moment. And what I did wrong after 16 is constantly trying to replicate the moment of mm. perfection. Um, and then when I came to uh, Indianapolis in 19, I just stopped trying to replicate. I just did. And that's really, it seems to be the key is just doing in the moment, not really thinking about the past or the future. Let it come to you, let it flow. Uh, easier said than done, really. But uh, when you can access this moment of excellence, it's, it's just about letting it, letting it come to you. And, and then things feel almost easy, but it uh, doesn't happen every day. <laughs> that's coming your way at the top of the hour right here on Dan Patrick Radio channel 211 and by the way our next guest uh you can listen to his and alexander rossi's podcast right here on sirius xm radio as well we're pleased to be joined by james hinchcliffe hinch uh first of all it, it is so nice to have you as part of the sirius xm family now because as i've said to you before uh your interaction with rossi is is, is just it makes you laugh but it also imparts a lot of interesting tidbits from a driver's perspective well i appreciate that we're uh, we're very proud to be part of the serious family again we were we were shocked and amazed when we got the uh, the email that they wanted us part of the family but it was uh, it was a nice nice call to receive and yeah no i mean you know alex is uh, he's such a neat character and and as with so many drivers that have you know really cool personalities in our sport all you get to really see of them is 30 second interviews at the racetrack, you know, and it's, uh, it's cool every time you get an opportunity to see, you know, some of these guys outside of that world and, and learn a little bit more about them. I mean, if you just watch AJ racing, you'd think that he was this quiet, well-mannered, really nice, even tempered guy, but really we, we all know the real AJ. What, what race are you watching? Obviously you're not listening to my radio. Thank goodness during those races. Cause that's, that's where the part really comes out. Well, I, I heard, you know, the, the most important radio transmission, you know, a couple, I guess last week when you were coming across the line P1. So uh, congratulations, sir, on a, on a race well run. Just trying to be like you, Hinch. That's, that's all I'm trying to, trying to make happen, man. You know? <laughs> no, 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 you're winning stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's right, talk, let, let's, let's, let's talk, this, yeah, let's, let's talk about this, this Hinch. You, yeah, let's put this mutual admiration you, on the shelf for a minute. Yeah, you had the double header there, right. you know, it's uh, to get into a new car per se same team but how was your run at at the indy gp doubleheader and was it what you'd hope for obviously maybe finishes you want a little bit better but how'd you rate the whole experience yeah so it's it's crazy you know the the one of the one of the underlying sort of missions for the weekend you know was to make sure that we kept the 26 car inside the leader circle um, it's, it's such an important thing for these team owners and it was kind of down close to the bubble. And, uh, there were two other teams that, you know, had other drivers, experienced guys drafted in Sebastian Bourdais obviously was drafted into the 14 and he had Elio Castroneves filling in for Oliver in the number seven. And 
just to show you how tough it is to just jump into an IndyCar, you know, three quarters of the way through the season when these guys have been running all year, you've got Elio and, and, and Sebastian that have a combined, I don't know, like 70 wins between them. Um, and both of those guys have been racing in, in IMSA all year long. And the three of us qualified, I think, 17th, 18th, and 19th in that first mm. race. You know, it's just so competitive. And just jumping into these cars uh, is, uh, is, is a huge challenge. So results-wise, yeah, you're always going to feel like you want a little bit more. But, um, you know, I managed to beat those guys both days, which was good. Uh, and we, we kind of helped move up uh, the 26th car position in the uh, in leader circle. And, you know, it's just it's tough at this time of the year, like I said, to, to jump in and, and try to keep pace with all these incredibly talented drivers that are, uh, that are you know, well race tuned at that point. But it was awesome to be back behind the wheel and definitely look forward and looking forward to St. Pete in a couple of weeks. You know, Hinch, uh, once you were relegated by, well, uh, a, a domino effect of an engine manufacturer's change at your previous ride, and you were set at liberty for this COVID-19 season. You filled in uh, very admirably on, on NBC Sports coverage, but you're now back in the saddle, and you have said this before, your goal is to return full-time in 2021, and with the departure of Zach Veach, has the lobbying on your part already begun with Michael Andretti? <laughs> well, I mean, I think, uh, I think any silly season starts sort of back in July, August, and, you know, all these conversations have been sort of happening for a while. And, you know, my, my focus switched almost as soon as we got our partial season deal done back in, you know, February, March, it switched, uh, everything off track was now focused on a full-time return in 21. So it's been a, it's been a long, a long process and, and in the works for a while. And, you know, I think we're, I think we're getting close. You know, there's a, a lot of movement, I think, coming in the, in the driver's market. We saw a little bit of that happen with, uh, with Felix going to the, to the number seven. And uh, I think there's going to be some more announcements coming up here, maybe a few on St. Pete weekend, but uh, you know, hopefully we're not too far behind in being able to make an announcement somewhere. And it's very rare that, you know, you get to that a driver gets to drive two cars in the same team during the year. I mean, it, it, we don't, we don't see that happen that often. So how was it going from your 29 car where that was a, a part-time car and, and everything was kind of put together around that to the 26 Cambridge car? Did you see a lot of differences? I mean, probably I'm sure working with a different engineer, different team, obviously. So um, similar, more different than you expected. So honestly, the, the team did an incredible job in, in how they approached this scenario. You know, obviously it's, it's, not, it's not an ideal situation. It was, you know, not what anybody wanted to see, but um, to, to step in the Gamebridge car, what we decided to do was actually kind of take my engineering staff from the 29 and, and just continue running these last three races together. Because as you know, AJ, that's such an important relationship, that dynamic, knowing how each other works. And especially with these race weekends now that are so truncated, you know, we went into the NDGP weekend, we had one hour of practice before the first qualifying. So uh, it was a different crew, but it was the same sort of engineering base that I had. So it was kind of 50-50. The team was a great job at preparing all the cars very equally. So even when I was the, the bonus Jonas, you know, the extra car for those <laughs> few races, um, I felt like I was driving, you know, equal equipment to the rest of the guys. And so, you know, jumping into the Gamebridge car, it didn't feel any different. They, uh, they made it feel good. And I got to work with some familiar faces from the engineering side and, and, you know, a very capable group of people 
uh, on the mechanic side, some of which I worked before, you know, worked with before my last stint there. So it was, it was a pretty seamless transition. Visiting with James Hinchcliffe, who has uh, run the Indy Grand Prix, the uh, Harvest uh, Weekend, and now looking forward as part of the Andretti Autosports operation, the GameBridge Honda for the season finale. James, I want to step outside of motorsports for just a second and get your reaction. I had the distinct pleasure to work for years with uh, the football coach Dick Vermeil, uh, the same football coach that, uh, you know, was the face of the Philadelphia Eagles for a long time and then was lured back in at the Kansas City Chiefs. And he would always remark that the time he spent in television gave him what he referred to as a helicopter perspective because he didn't have to deal with the day-to-day. Your time spent with NBC, did that in any way alter your overall perspective about IndyCar racing? You know, it's interesting. And, and I, I had the, the sort of unique fortune and opportunity to do some commentating on Champ Car back when I was, you know, in the Atlantic Series and mm-hmm. uh, was calling AJ's, you know, 14 wins in 2006, whatever it was. Um, and I, I remember at, at that point, especially, you know, being a younger guy still looking to come up, I took a lot out of learning how races were won. You know, you you get to see what moves put a certain driver in a position to win, and and what what moves maybe really hurt a team's effort to try to take home a victory. And and I I did take a lot of that, you know, into the start of my IndyCar career. But having this opportunity now, you know, to, to come back out, and and I think that that sort of thirty thousand foot view analogy is a very appropriate one. And and AJ, you, you can you can jump in on this too if if you see the same thing. But for me, it is getting to watch kind of you may be not paying attention to all, you don't get a grasp of all 25 drivers necessarily, but certainly the top 10, you have a really good sense of how their day went, right? Where if you're in the car and you're in the race, you know how your day went, you know, in your post-race debrief, you'll go through your teammates days and probably the guy that won the race. There's a lot of other races happening on track at the same time. And when you're doing the TV thing, you're able to just see and kind of absorb so much more of what's really happening through the field and there's lessons to be learned in all that. So uh, I really enjoy, and, and you know, you go back and watch the races that, that you're in, right? So you, you see what everybody sees on TV, but when you're kind of behind the camera, behind the mic, there's so much that doesn't make it on air, you know, that you, you still see and you still get a sense of. So I, I think it's a huge learning opportunity and, and I, I love that I've had the chance to do it and, and get a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of experience there. Let's talk about St. Pete. There, uh, James, you got it. Well, you got a little bit of work to do with myself and NBC Sports, Petit Le Mans. Uh, so you got to put that hat on first and, and spend 10 hours watching cars go around the racetrack, which is not a bad thing. But going into St. Pete, uh, do you have more lofty expectations set for yourself compared to the Harvest Indy GP or, uh, you know, same deal? How, how would you like to end the season knowing that you're still working on plans going into next year? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a double-edged sword, you know, because obviously I, I've got higher expectations. I think, I think what we accomplished in EGP was, was, pretty, was pretty reasonable given the circumstances. But, you know, now I've had that race weekend. You know, there was a, we had an issue in the braking system in the car through the first two days of that event. So through that first race that we didn't really find till afterwards. And so I, I did feel a lot better in the car the second day. 
just starting a race weekend with that little bit of, you know, recent experience, I think is helpful. Nobody's been on a street circuit yet this year. So it's a little bit more of an even playing field in that sense. Um, and so, yeah, for sure. I've got, I've got higher goals and, and higher expectations. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do have a job to do. You know, I do have to finish that car in a position where, you know, we know we're not going to fall out of leader circle. And so it's kind of balancing those, uh, those two goals a little bit, my personal goals, but also, you know, the, the, the team goal, which is kind of the more important one at the moment, but I'm definitely excited. It's a track I love and it's an event I love and we're going to get to have fans there, which is great. So uh, yeah, after spending, you know, 10 hours, you know, shooting the breeze back and forth with you, well, uh, I mean, I, I should just stay down in Florida. I don't know why I'm going back to India. I should just drive over to Tampa and have a couple of days off, but there you go. I guess that's not how it works. Hinch, uh, look, I think we've all documented and followed some of the challenges that Andretti Autosport have faced uh, during the course of this COVID-19 season. But uh, recently, it looks like overall, they've turned things around to a certain point. Uh, you also have some fellow drivers that are pretty potent, uh, former Indy 500 winners. And, and, you know, I wonder, is there one driver that stands out as your cadre of teammates that you think is very similar to your style inside the cockpit? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. When I was with Andretti for my first stint in 2012 to 2014, you know, Ryan Hunter and I certainly gravitated towards each other from a, a car setup standpoint. And, you know, we worked very closely and very successfully together. Um, and then, you know, you've, you've obviously now got, uh, you know, with, with Alex and Colton, two more very competitive race winning drivers um, that, you know, Colton's running with an engineer that I've run with in the past. Um, Alex obviously brings uh, a lot of European flair and experience and, and his engineer, Jeremy Millis came from, from different teams and has a lot of experience. So I think the team does a very good job for how many different cars and driving styles and, and everything mm. that there are of kind of bringing everybody as close as possible and, and trying to keep us all on a, on a competitive streak. And the closer we run, obviously the more beneficial it is to have all those cars. Um, but I'd say, you know, probably still Ryan and, and Alex would be the ones that uh, I'd probably gravitate to a little bit more. Um, although honestly, like even at uh, Indy GP, Colton and I ended up on a pretty similar car. So it is good that we're kind of getting a bunch of different drivers with different styles, kind of all gravitating towards a similar setup. Well, listen, we do appreciate your visiting with us. Uh, my sincere apologies to you with what you're facing this weekend. In many people's eyes, it would be considered a, uh, uh, a time spent in jail uh, having to work with my co-host, A.J. Almendinger. But uh, we have encouraged that A.J. bring some uh, additional potent pharmaceuticals to help keep sequestered that inner uh, anger that he showed on Saturday uh, <laughs> in the Roval race. You call it anger. I call it it's, determination. Uh, it's actually funny. So, you know, <laughs> they've, they've, got, they've got me and Townsend Bell on site in Atlanta. We've kind of been sequestered into our own little booth, but only one at a time. So there's a solo booth running in Atlanta. And, uh, and while the rest of them get to go hang out in Charlotte and, and you know, be friendly with one another. Uh, apparently Townsend and I have offended people and we have to be trackside in a booth by ourselves and swap out stints during the race. And so it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. Blame Dinger. All right. He's the one that got to the brass and uh, 
hey, it is what it is. We wish you the very best of luck, it. not only at the Petit Le Mans, your, your coverage on NBC, but also forthcoming in the finale at St. Petersburg, Florida. That's James Hinchcliffe coming up next, uh, a sit-down that was very revealing uh, with one of the top flight car owners in the NTT IndyCar Series. Chip Ganassi is coming your way right after this. Coming up next. If you put Scott Dixon and Jimmy Johnson side by side, their approach to their performance in the cockpit of a race car is almost exactly the same. Get the very most out of the car, but don't make a lot of mistakes. How do you see Dixie? It's easy for me to say the same thing. You know, I, I look at him as a young man that came to us and the young person that he's developed into, you know, how he's developed professionally and personally has been something that, uh, you know, movies are made of, literally. You know, it's just been a pleasure to work with him. And I would only say that in, in terms of his driving ability, I would say that my friend Leonard Wood summed it up the best. He asked me one day how Dixon's doing, and I said, oh, Dixon's good. And he said, well, he said, you know, that Dixon, he reminds me of David Pearson. Boy, yeah. And I, yeah. And I said, why is that, Leonard? He said, well, he said, if you didn't win with Pearson driving your car, you know you needed to work on your car a little more. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty much the story with Dixon. You know, I think, uh, you know, if you don't win with Dixon driving your car, you probably got to work on your car a little more. This is Brick by Brick with A.J. Allmendinger and Jack Aroot. Welcome back to the only weekly NTT IndyCar Series talk show on Sirius XM. This is Brick by Brick. Joining us now on Brick by Brick is uh, a car owner, both in the Cup Series, in the Xfinity Series, but why we want to talk to him today is because he is the car owner and what could potentially be a sixth championship for one of his drivers, Scott Dixon. You know we're talking about Chip Ganassi. Uh, Chip, thanks so much for joining us, and let's just jump right into the deep end of the pool, shall we? It is absolutely okay, Jack, great. It is absolutely phenomenal what you have been able to do with Chip Ganassi Racing on the IndyCar side, and what I'm talking about is retention of the brain trust that basically has provided the impetus for the success that you've experienced. You know, Jack, no question. I mean, this is a people business. Uh, you know, you can have all the, you know, it's pretty easy to come up with a car these days when you want to have a race team. You can come up with an engine, you know. You can come up with all the wheels and the tires and the trucks, and you can it's, it's, you, you, you can look around to see what all the assets you need, and it's, not hard to come up with those. What's hard is to, when you have all those is to get the most out of them. The way you get the most out of them is having great people. And I've been blessed over the years to have some great, you know, great leadership in Indianapolis. And it just starts from there down. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, Mike Hull or, or Julian Robertson, Chris Simmons, you know, Barry Wanzer. Uh, you know, it just goes down Mel Harder all the way down, you know, whether it's Rick Davis, Julian, you know, all all these yeah. other, uh, you know, it just, it, you just go down person after person of people on the team that have been there a long time. You know, we, we, uh, we have, uh, I know we have over, over 10 or 12 employees have been with us for over 20 years wow. now. And it's just a, you know, just to be in racing, and we just celebrate our 30th year, so 
just to have people that have been with you for pretty much that entire ride has been, uh, it's really rewarding professionally, but personally as well. I don't want to make you feel old, but I know that there are a legion of fans in the IndyCar Nation that don't recall, and I urge them to YouTube your performance as a driver in IndyCar racing. Uh, it goes a while back. But my question to you is, how did your experiences as a driver uh, define the way you go about business as an owner? Well, thanks, Jack, because I remember when I was when I was uh, fresh on the scene, I think you were, too, Easy. in 1982. Easy. <laughs> and uh, and and uh, but no, but it's interesting because, you know, the 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 you know, I, I, I think from the beginning, uh, it was real simple with the, 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 the MO we wanted for our team or the mantra or the, you know, the, uh, statement, uh, of, of operation. Uh, we, we, we wanted to have a team that, that I, I, the, that I set the standard high and the standard was, mm-hmm. look, I want to have a team, want to put together a team that I would want to drive for. <laughs> and, and, uh, that was really how we got started. And, uh, back in the days we had a guy named Tom Anderson, he and I got started and, uh, you know, a couple of years later, Mike Hall came on board, and uh, the rest is history. You know, we talk all the time, Chip, uh, about the phenomenal performance of Roger Penske uh, with all of his Indy 500 victories. But I know you well that the, the, the competition between you and Roger is, yes, friendly, but, boy, it is spirited as well. Uh, it, it strikes me that it's a mutual admiration, one owner for the other. Is it? Certainly. I mean, I'd like to think we keep an eye on each other. Uh, <laughs> our teams are watching each other pretty closely. And, uh, you know, I mean, he, you know, they'll, they'll point out a mistake we made in the pit lane or uh, we'll point out one for them. But, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, uh, we, we work together, I think, for the betterment of the sport. And, uh, you know, hey, he's the first guy to congratulate me after a win. And, uh, and I don't know if I'm the first, but I certainly congratulate him after his wins. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, I'd like to think we have the, 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 the best of the sport in mind. Uh, that's one thing we have in common. So I think, um, you know, it's a good relationship. And obviously now with him owning the series and owning the Speedway, um, it's, it's a shot in the arm for both. And uh, look, certainly looking forward to the future. You know, when you look down at the roster of drivers that you've enjoyed, and, and there are so many uh, that excelled, um, how do you, you know, we talk about in NASCAR how Ford or Chevrolet or Toyota, you know, uh, usher in and, and nurture drivers. How do you approach it? Because you have an incredible eye for talent. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it starts with just meeting these people to begin with and see what kind of heart they have, you know, let's face it. When you get to a, you know, IndyCar level or a cup level of a driver, you've obviously won some races in your past or won mm-hmm. some championships. So, but the question is, how did you do that? Who were you racing against? How did you do it? What, what did your other teammates think of you? What did the people that were working on the cars during that time, what did they think of you? What kind of person were you? You know, I like to delve into, hey, what kind of, what kind of family life did you grow up with? What kind of, you know, what 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 parental guidance did you or didn't you have? Uh, 
you know, all these things go into to what these these athletes are today. You know, that and, and it's it's not it's not too different really than what 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 people in the NFL face or Major League Baseball, where you have these young athletes coming along. Look, you're trying to nurture these guys coming along, and you know, at 17, 18, 19 years old, and uh, suddenly, you know, they're 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 traveling the world. They're, you know, first class airfare and you know, first class travel, first class hotels, and uh, you know, people are sort of falling all over them, and you're throwing layers some money on top of that, and pretty soon you can, you know, it's easy sometimes for some of these young athletes to get to get misguided. And, uh, you know, it happens in all sports. And so it, it's how you keep those, how you keep those athletes focused and how you keep them, you know, their eye on the ball of what's important and what's not. And, 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 you know, see them develop into young men. And because let's face it, between 18 and, you know, 30 years old, a man goes through probably more changes than he'll ever go through in his life. And uh, so certainly these young people, whether it's a man or a woman these days coming in, you know, you're 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 you have an important role in their life because they're going through a lot of changes, and it, it, there's certain there's some responsibility that goes along with that, and um, so you know you want to you want to you want to do the right thing for them, so hopefully it lasts more than uh, more than their tenure with your team. Continuing our conversation with NTT IndyCar owner Chip Ganassi. All right, let's talk about the Iceman, Scott Dixon from day one has, and AJ talks about this all the time. Dinger says, if you put Scott Dixon and Jimmy Johnson side by side, their approach to their performance in the cockpit of a race car is almost exactly the same. Get the very most out of the car, but don't make a lot of mistakes. How do you see Dixie? Well, I don't know. It's, 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 it's easy for me to say the same thing. You know, I, I look at him as a young man that came to us. And again, just going back to the previous part of the conversation, you know, the person, the young person that he's developed into, I think, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, how he's developed professionally and personally has been, uh, has been something that, uh, you know, movies are made of literally. And, um, you know, it's just been a pleasure to work with him and, I, I would only say that in, in terms of his driving ability, I would say that my friend Leonard Wood summed it up the best. He asked me one day how Dixon's doing, and I said, oh, Dixon's good. And he said, well, he said, you know, that Dixon, he reminds me of David Pearson. Boy, yeah. And I, yeah. And I said, why is that, Leonard? He said, well, he said, if you didn't win with Pearson driving your car, you know you needed to work on your car a little more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And that's pretty much the story with Dixon. You know, I think, uh, you know, if you don't win with Dixon driving your car, you probably got to work on your car a little more. All right. And, uh, you're on You're on the cusp of delivering for Dixie uh, yet another championship. Uh, I, I'm not going to jinx it, so I'm not going to talk about that. But mm -hmm. you're also preparing in 2021 to bring on a seven-time champion in another discipline that you compete in, Jimmy Johnson, uh, right. how are the team dynamics going to develop, and what do you expect from JJ in year one? Yeah, I mean, I think you know what I expect. I expect him to just be a be a champion, and 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 uh, what I mean by that is, 
you know, he, he, he walked in. One of the things I've learned about Jimmy just in the last uh, few months is, you know, he, you remember the days of Joe Montana being around our team and, and, you know, Joe's the kind of person that he walked in and he just lifted the room up. And uh, whether, whether you were at a, you know, a team meeting, uh, a difficult situation in a, in a, in a meeting with a driver maybe, or a, uh, or a, or in front of, uh, in front of sponsors or executives or whatever, just any, 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 any dynamic, any situation you were in with him, Joe always lifted the room up. And I think Jimmy's a lot of the same way, you know. He just lifts the room up when he walks in with his with his attitude and his approach. And uh, so so I find that very refreshing. And, you know, this business is difficult. It's hard work. It's it's not all, you know, people look at, turn the, you turn the TV on Fox or NBC on Sunday and you it looks glamorous and it looks like fun and it looks like, you know, this is IndyCar racing, and you're going 230 miles an hour, and blah, 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 blah. It looks all fine and dandy. It's a lot of damn hard work, Jack. You know yeah. that. Yeah. And, 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 and Jimmy and Scott are the kind of guys that you don't mind working hard for. And um, so when you say, what do I expect them to, to do? What do I expect next year? I just expect them to be themselves. Uh, you're going to be successful in convincing him to uh, run in the uh, 2021 Indianapolis 500. At this point in time, he's only on the road courses. But I think you're smart enough and you are uh, devious enough uh, in a positive way uh, to hang that carrot out there and challenge his championship caliber and his pursuit of excellence. You know, it would be easy for me to say yes or no on a question like that. And, uh, you know, and, and, but, but the fact of the matter is he'll, he'll make his mind up himself when he, once he's sort of immersed in the series, you know, you're asking a guy to make a decision right now about something that he doesn't, he doesn't fully understand the, uh, the magnitude magnitude or, 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 or let's put it in simple terms, you know, like, all these, all these ways, um, you know, he's in a series right now where it's, he's sort of climbing a mountain and it's in the fog and, you know, you really don't know how far you are from the top or, but you know, you keep climbing and you keep after it. And, uh, I would just say this, he's a lot closer to the top of that mountain than he thinks. And, uh, so when the, when the time comes to make those decisions, I'm sure he'll make the right one and, and, uh, and that'll be best for everybody. But, uh, you know, I, I would not, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be. I I, I I don't want to put anybody under any undue pressure about making a yes or no decision on something like that. It's it's something that uh, when the time is right, I'm sure he'll make the right decision. Kip, it's been a real pleasure. It's been actually an honor. You and I, as you alluded to, go all the way back. Both of us kind of starting our career in IndyCar racing at the exact same time. Uh, sure. Biggest difference is uh, uh, I. I went one route, you went the other. Uh, I do appreciate you joining us here on Brick by Brick, and we wish you and Scott Dixon, and in fact, your entire team, the best of luck when we bring the curtain down in a couple of weeks in St. Petersburg. Thanks, Jack. Great to catch up with you. Great to talk, and uh, hope you're well, and I'll see you on the trail here somewhere. Well, it's time to put a ribbon on uh, this edition, AJ. Kind of covered a lot of ground. Uh, Found it fascinating, the insight from Chip Gassy. Thought he was very open. And after we recorded that, it became 
uh, newsworthy that one of his drivers is departing for uh, 2021 to go to Schmidt Aero McLaren. Uh, that's a pretty lucrative seat, is it not? It is. And th the question is, I mean, does it get filled? Do you just fill yeah. Jimmy Johnson with that? You know, I mean, it, so there's with Felix leaving, it opens up so many questions about, okay, do they put somebody else in there? Do they just fill it with what they already had planned with Jimmy Johnson on the road course events? And I mean, it's just part of silly season. So, but that's one that, that, that opens so many different questions. So, um, but yeah, if you're a, a driver, <clears throat> Elio Castroneves possibly. Yeah. And especially due to the competitive nature yeah. as Chip uh, alluded to in his interview uh, of he comparing his operation to Roger Penske and the friendly rivalry. So our thanks to Chip Ganassi, our thanks to James Hinchcliffe, our thanks to each and every one of you. Quick reminder, if you missed any of this show or any of our uh, IndyCar brick by brick episodes on Dan Patrick radio uh, channel 211, they all live on the Sirius XM app and on Pandora as well. The executive producer of Sirius XM Sports is Andy King. Our producer on Brick by Brick, as well as IndyCar Classics, is Nate Lee. For AJ Almendinger, I'm Jack Aroot, saying thanks so much for joining us. Until we are together again next Wednesday, look out for each other and get ready for the finale next Sunday, not this Sunday, next Sunday in St. Petersburg, Florida, for the NTT IndyCar series. Brick by Brick with A.J. Allmendinger and Jack Aroot on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211 and on the Sirius XM app.